Hey guys, producer Ken here with a very quick message before the show begins. Uh, in 2013, uh, I started working on a podcast with two of my very best friends, Paul and Ben. That show's called Jews and Reviews, and it's on the Atlantic Transmission Network. In fact, it's safe to say it's probably one of the inspirations for creating it in the first place. Well, four years ago, uh, one of the best men I know, Paul Cohen, you may know him as Paul Corey, hosted Jews and Reviews, uh, was unexpectedly admitted to the hospital. Uh, it was from there that he learned that his illness was due to a loss of function in his kidneys. Uh, right now, he's on dialysis three days a week, and the doctors have told him, hey, Paul, you know, try to live a normal life, which is very rough to do, you know, being on dialysis three days a week. Well, it turns out Paul is in need of a kidney transplant. So if you or anyone you know may be interested in learning more about becoming a living donor, please call the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. That's the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. Another way you can help is just spreading the message by sharing these links and giving it the hashtag Team Paul. That's T-E-A-M-P-A-U-L, standard spelling on Paul. We're certainly doing all we can to help a good man get through this, and we hope you'll join us. Thank you. Enjoy the show. What up, guys and girls? Uh, welcome to another episode of The Bitch Seat. I am here with um, my co-host and co-pilot, Phil Casal. Hey, everybody. And uh, we have um, a very exciting guest on the show today, uh, a playwright and screenwriter who I've actually known since college, uh, Peter Duchan. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Hi, Phil. Hey. Um, and, uh, and, and we're going to talk about camp memories today, which is uh, very close to my heart because um, I was a little bit obsessed with my camp experience. Um. Huh. Phil, I don't know if you ever went to camp. Did you? I, I went to band camp. Okay, well, we'll be, we can talk about that later, too. Sure. sure. It was awful. I mean, like, only twice I stayed away, but yeah. I thought you liked band camp. You did no. marching band, too, right? It was awful. Both times. Every single time we went to band camp, you basically had to uh, uh, agree with yourself that your summer was over, your life was over, until Friday when you went home. Whether or not you actually... Sometimes they had band camp in town, which was even worse because you just went home and then other times you would like be stuck in this camp and it was far worse than that like the first time I was at a camp and it was I was in it was eighth grade and my sister was still in color guard and she told the drummer the head drummer that I was bitching that he was treating me poorly and it just made them treat me more poorly because she tried to intervene but in such an ineffectual useless way and so i was sunburnt because we had to stay in the field for like eight hours so it sounds like when you weren't in school where you were already getting socially shat on yeah in some in the summer you had like another socially shat on experience you could never really escape the shit no you can't you can in the summer between june july and the beginning of august but once it gets to the third week of august you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of doofy fucking chaperones and a bunch of uh just other awkward kids who are taking out their awkwardness on other people's awkwardness. It's just a lot of awkward kids misshapen, you know, because we're all carrying different drums. So we're all like hunched <laughs> over. Like I was a hunchback. Like the 
the bass drum. I had the bass drum. So it was very heavy. And some people had the smaller one or the, the bigger one. I always had the biggest one. And so, like, we would always just be, I'm going to fucking kill you. I hate you. Just, like, angry. It sounds like a really, a really healthy learning environment. It was awful. Yeah. But then later, as, as, like, my group got older, we became a lot nicer to the trainees and tried to get them to be comfortable because we realized we need guys, so we need to treat them better. So then, eventually, we were able to assemble a team of, like, a good drum line. It's, like, via Stockholm Syndrome. I got okay with this. Uh... We eventually figured out a better drum line uh, based purely on positive reinforcement for the most part. See, that sounds like you should you should be the chaperone. I should for be. For band camp. You... Oh, God, I'd never go back. I'm sorry. Not I'm even not, now. I'm not, I'm not wishing that upon you. I'm not wishing it upon you. Um, well, I had a totally different uh, experience when I went away for the summer. I went to Exploration Summer Program, which was at Wellesley. So it was like, it was like mini college for... Um, for like intellectual Jewish kids in the Northeast. I mean, there was no, there were no like swimming in, in bug infested <laughs> pools or. Um, what did you do there? We took classes of our, of our choosing. I mean, there was a whole, you could take like, you could take like music or art classes. You could take like forensics classes or sports classes. It was like mini college, right? Because that's how badly I wanted to get away from my, from my small town. I was like, let's just pretend I'm already old enough. To leave. There was no like capture the flag or no 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 N- nothing athletic to speak of. <laughs> so I loved it. It was great, and I <laughs> and I also felt like I could be a completely different person when I was there. Not a different person, but like not judged. Like I met a bunch of people, and they weren't immediately like, "You're a dork who just does your homework." And There's that's an intellectual it. camp, and they can't even splurge on a rock gym. I mean, I feel like these people are already kind of. I'm sure there was a rock gym there, but I wasn't going there. Right, I, I wasn't about to do anything athletic if I didn't have to. You know what I mean? Do you have any crush on boys? Well, naturally, there were always about ten of them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this this excerpt from a from a journal as we All like right. to to begin with um, my own shaming myself before I ask my guests to shame themselves. Yeah. Um, it's an excerpt from good old uh, Dimitri, my journal, Dimitri. Um, it's from July 26, 1997. So this is the summer after eighth grade, I think. I think so. Which is the most. Uh, viscerally emotional time of any of our lives. Right? Absolutely. Maybe. All right. Uh, it's long, so I'm going to edit it as I see fit. But this is this is what was my camp experience. Dimitri, I feel so lost, terribly bewildered, lonely beyond belief. I mean, like, I always do, but... I know I ought to have written long ago, but somehow I knew I simply did not have the patience or the energy... It seems to be the end of everything I have ever loved in my life. First of all, Explo, we called it Explo instead of Exploration. It sounds a little bit dirty. We're not going to talk about that. Explo ended just about a week ago, and this time it was really the end. I can't come back to the same Explo next year. I could go to the senior program, but what would be the point? None of my friends would be there. Just a bunch of retired old memories. Moon is going back next year. Moon is the nickname of the guy who was my first quote-unquote boyfriend, i.e. we went out for three days, um, but that meant literally nothing. Moon is going back next year, so that is why I am considering it. I constantly wonder if it is possible to be in love at age 14, almost 15. I miss him so much. I loved the way he looked, the way he'd swish his hair out of his face with the toss of his head, the way he laughed crazily at night if he was overtired. 
What? I know. That was that's, that's terrifying. I didn't know him as a person literally at all. He was from Westchester and he had nice at, hair. That's it. And he and he laughed crazily when he was tired. As we all did. Anyway. Mostly I loved how he danced. Slow. Always really close. And on that last night when we danced for the last time, it was so wonderful. Our our bodies were closer than they'd ever been. I could smell his polo shirt and feel his stomach pressed up against mine. We had looked over at Todd and Lila dancing, and Todd had given Moon an obvious wink, which caused Moon to chuckle. He then glanced down at me, and by the way, he was like six foot five, and seeing from my smile that I had also seen the wink, grinned. Then suddenly I could almost feel his mood become serious. He tossed the hair gently out of his face and blankly stared out into the night. He held me a little closer, a little bit tighter. I could feel his fingers on my lower back, on my skin where my tank top had ridden up a couple of inches. Ah, uh, a little, uh... Keep going. I'm, I'm so that's, turned... That's as far as it goes. You don't have to know. And then, ever so slowly and gently, I rested my head on his warm chest. He did not shudder or shiver. I could feel his soft breath on the top of my head, and the two of us barely moved. It was the most unbelievable moment, and I was unsure of what he was thinking... But surely it was not too far from what I was thinking, because otherwise his fingers would not have been on my back, and his breath would not have been on my head, and we would not have been dancing so close, and he probably would not have asked me in the first place. We were both lonely, and we were both remembering last year. We had each given one another a first taste of what a relationship was like, and nobody else, no matter how good they were, could be the first for either of us. We had each other. Ah. (laughs) That's... Outstanding. Yeah. Um, that is a that is better than young adult novels. I mean, I should have been writing those all along, I think. But um, I mean, that's... Eh, just, it's money. Do you know, our first... He was my first kiss. And we had our first kiss on um, a, a cruise ship. Because, of course, we had like a cruise at the end of camp. There's something so satisfying about Harbor. knowing he was your first kiss. Well, we it was, but it was the most awkward and like unsatisfying thing ever. Because oh. I knew what a kiss looked like. Because I had watched Dirty Dancing, naturally. But... Uh, his friend Will, who insisted on wearing this hat with like a lobster sticking out of the front of it. There's always that Will. There's always that guy. Yeah. Um, he insisted on um, organize, like orchestrating the whole thing, and he gave both of us an orange Tic Tac, and then he like hid behind this little like wall in the thing and kind of like watched us as we did that, and it was just like sloppy and awkward. Sloppy. And I, I was sloppy. It's, well, I mean, when it wasn't what I wanted a kiss to be. Your first kiss is always going to be okay. My lips are puckered. We're meeting lips now. No, but what it was mouth open, like right off the bat. Yeah, that was my my friend Ed told me all kisses have to have tongue, and uh, for my first kiss because I was real nervous about it, and then she bit my tongue, and she had braces. It was weird. Like first kisses are always awkward because it's a first step with your mouth. But it doesn't. It, it, you want it to be. You want it to be satisfying, like biting into like a really juicy peach. But it's not no. like that. It takes you're not, practice. You're not biting anything. Hopefully. No. I mean, well, sometimes. I think I. I think I pictured the feeling to be like if you had a banana and you had two people eating it from both ends, and it was like that kind of like satisfying, like or also chew. like 101 Dalmatians <laughs> with the spaghetti. No. That was Lady in the Tramp. Oh shit! God, you're, all right. you're from a Disney Put family. My Disney badge on the table. All the dog ones are the same. All the dog ones are the same. Lady in the, Lady in the Tramp, Hundred One Dalmatians, same animation you know style, the same, no, same voices. Oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. Oh, we, we should, have a guest. We do have a we have a guest who's who's very patiently waiting right here. What's who, um, what was your first kiss? 
My first kiss was during a game of. What first? Wait, hold on. Go ahead. No, I just don't want to miss this. This the you know we have an introductory moment here. Fine. Okay. Even though Peter's right here, we're going to pretend he's not right here. And Peter, we're going to give you a proper introduction. Peter Duchan, ladies and gentlemen, um, wrote the book for the musical Dogfight, and. uh, is uh, among many other things. He's had um, films that went to South by Southwest. Uh, we're, we're, and we're also having some kind of technical difficulties yeah. that I'm not going to ignore any further. What's going Sorry. on here, guys? I'm hearing this low rumble like every periodically where it's sort of like, I don't know if it's in the headset. It's not. It's I'm not hearing that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm hearing it online. It's weird. So, that is weird. Like it sounds like there's like a... Well, there's a subway underneath us. We're at Astor Place. Oh, are you kidding me? Never mind then. There it is. I'm just... <laughs> it's just a powerful microphone. Yeah. All right, let's all take a cleansing breath. Yeah. And... Can I have some of that water? <laughs> okay. Do you want to um, take it back or do you want to keep going? We're not going to take it back. Okay, fine. We're live. We're not live. No, we're... Which is whatever. Listen, anyway, I'm really excited to have a very talented and patient writer with us right now. Uh, and uh, his name is Peter Duchan, and he gets an intro song. <laughs> this is outstanding. <laughs> or he doesn't. Or he doesn't. This is not normally how it goes, Peter, but uh, we'll... You guys have seen the clip of Bill O'Reilly Fuck it, I'll do it live. Oh, <laughs> there's no words there. I use that for every like if this if I miss the train, I'm like fuck it, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Hey, here it is. Here you go. Train arrived late, but here it is. <laughs> Let's get on it. Now, if that doesn't get you in the mood for some fun camp memories, I don't know what does. Taking me back to '92. Cool. Batman Returns was in the uh, was in the theaters '92. That's all I remember. Well, 92 happened to be the year that we were pirating cable as a family. <laughs> yeah! So there are a lot of movies from 1992 that I know very well, including Candyman, Basic Instinct, yes. which a nine-year-old should Were you allowed to watch that? Well, you're allowed to do whatever you want to do, and your parents are at work, and you come home from school. So oh. I would watch Basic Instinct, Candyman, People Under the Stairs. There are always movies that will pop up, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know everything that happens in that movie. I've seen it 15 times because it was on pay-per-view, yeah. and we weren't paying per view. But wait, so was first of all, you grew up where in the tri-state area? I grew up yeah. in the tri-state area. I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up, and I'm like now embarrassed to say I grew up in Westport, Connecticut. Which, Why are you embarrassed? I'm embarrassed because there's all these TV shows coming out that are about Westport, and they do not portray it in a good light. Maybe an accurate light, but they do not portray it in a good light. So now I'm like every time I introduce myself, people are gonna be like, oh, like the Westport from Billions, or oh, like the Westport from the Second Fattest Housewife in Westport. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that was a show. It's going to pilot. <laughs> well, I mean. This is why this is why we escaped from Connecticut, you know. Indeed, you have to get away from those stereotypes to prove that you're not part of them. Yeah. But let's talk about the illegal box. When did you realize <laughs> it was illegal? Were you aware of that, or was it always like, oh, I you have know, this box? It's one of those catch twenty two. Isn't the right word for this, but it, kind of legal things where the BJ's can sell you the box, but using it is illegal. Yeah. So. All I know is that we had it for like a year or two. I loved it. I watched, I still won't say Candyman three times in a row. And had an amazing experience seeing Basic Instinct over and over and over and over again, among other movies. 
And then one time a friend of mine was going to babysit my little brother and my parents, for whatever reason, like my 14 year old friend was going to babysit my little brother, Evan. And they thought she would judge them for having this box that no doubt she would never have understood what it was in the first place. And they decided that night that they got rid of the boxes and they got real cable boxes instead. And they've since been a law abiding family. But I, but I have a question about whether seeing something like that... First of all, you said you watched it not just once, but many, many, many times. Many times. But that's the joke in my family. My, the famous, quote-unquote, amongst yes. like the five of us, one time when I was seven or eight and my older brother was like 11 or 12, my parents have a pretty strict no-censorship rule. So I'm in bed. My parents are watching TV, and we used to lie on the floor in front of my parents' bed and watch TV with them. Mm-hmm. And they're watching the movie White Palace, or White Palaces. I don't know if it's plural, but... There is, they'd seen it in theaters, and they know that there's this big, famous sex scene coming up. So they said to my, my older brother, who's 11 or 12, you know, there's going to be a sex scene. If you want to stay, you can stay for it. If you want to go, you can go. And if you have any questions, we're, just ask us. We can talk about it, which I think is sort of the best approach. Your parents are amazing. Right, sounds great, right? So the next day, we're in the car driving to my grandparents in Queens, and <laughs> my parents say to Josh, Josh, my older brother, they say, do you have any questions about what you saw last night? And he starts to ask the questions, and before they can answer, I, at age seven, jump in and explain every sexual position that was in the scene, <laughs> the, the correct terminology for all of it, like everything. My parents were just like, okay, that's your answer. There you go. How did you know? I don't know. I and don't you, know. So you were the middle child? Yes. And oh, how, that's how. How much younger You're... is your younger sibling? We're almost evenly spaced, sort of. I'm four years younger than my older brother and I'm five and a half years older than my little brother. Okay, so you had you all had enough space to sort of grow up independently because that's far enough away. Totally. I, I always say I had two different childhoods. There was like the childhood where I was a younger brother and then there was the childhood where I was an older brother. Same. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like a worse younger brother than my younger brother was to me and I was a worse <laughs> older brother than my older brother was to me. Worse in what way? Were you just a smart ass? Well, I was a very annoying younger brother, and I did everything that my older brother did I just wanted to do, which is how I ended up at the summer camp in the first place, but we'll get there. Yes. Um, and then as an older brother, when my younger brother wanted to do things I wanted to do, I was like, no, it's my thing. <laughs> so I was annoying and negligent. Well, That's yeah. what you have to do. To, you, have to, like, you have to assert yourself in yeah, some way. In some way, but, not, but eventually uh, relent out of pity or shame. <laughs> I just, I, that's, I'm That's kind of how I did it. <laughs> what? You gonna finish that thought? What? Yeah, no, I would, I was, I try to be a good brother, but at a certain point, I would have these things where like, no, this is my thing, get away from me. Yeah. But eventually, you can't stop them. So it's like, all right, fine, here, watch Evil Dead 2. No, and then sometimes they turn out to be better at your things than you were. Yes, video games, for one, my brother is way better. I have to have, he like, he has to stand by me when I play Resident Evil 4, because I just can't walk down a hallway without freaking out like in that game he's he's 12 years younger than me but he can do it because he's pro he was born with the fucking internet in his head i mean so. true and i'm so i mean i was talking about this recently i think that our our generation is really particularly obsessed with nostalgia more than than others and i think it's because we grew up straddling this line where there was a there was like pre-internet and then there was post-internet and we remember what life was like before that like analog life sure but know? not only that but we remember we've i think we're lucky because we pre- we were around for a sort of democratized internet that does not exist anymore you know we talk about the bubble and how when you search for things you only get the things you 
they think you're looking for. Yeah. Right. But I remember back in the day, you could search and you could find everybody's GeoCities website. Oh, yeah. And I had my Jennifer Ely fan page, GeoCities web page. <laughs> what, what territory was it in GeoCities? Oh, gosh. I wish I knew. I wasn't that... What does that mean? Advanced. Because sometimes, if like depending on your interests, it would put you in either Silicon Valley or Area Fifty One or like uh, somewhere in Beverly Hill. It would like it made these different classifications because back when you can automatically thank you very much. Back when you could, uh, our producer handing me off a water knew I was thirsty. Um, Back in the day when you couldn't just randomly generate web pages, they would have to actually create directories and so they would put the sci-fi geeks in area 51 and then when that got too big they would be like vault so it would be area 51 slash vault slash your number yeah see my website i one was a fan page for an actress who at that point had only won one tony award amazing my other web page was something called like the 12 most intriguing musicals (laughs) which why i settled on the number 12 who knows so i'm not sure that whatever area i was filling was big enough to have Filled up and overflowing. <laughs> it sounds like you were ahead of the curve. You were like creating clickbait before clickbait was a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, well, let's let's uh, turn to this thing of, of camp and why yes. why you said you wanted to follow your older brother to. Oh yeah, no, this. I did a lot of things for that reason. I got glasses for that reason in second grade because Josh wore glasses. I wanted glasses. Did you need them, or your parents just gave you some frames? No, we went to the ophthalmologist who wasn't is a good family friend, and afterwards. <laughs> I'm told he said to my mother, Peter is inconsistent. So my they agreed <laughs> that I could get very low-grade glasses, and then I did that. So I did anything my older brother did. So when I was six, he went to sleepaway camp for eight weeks, and I said on visiting day when we went up to visit him that I would be going the next summer. You Without, announced it. I announced it. I decided. My parents were thrilled to consider getting rid of me. Of course. That was 1989, so I, my, I went for the first summer in 1990. Mm-hmm. And how many summers did you go subsequently? I went four summers there. Mm-hmm. And then, spoiler alert, I went six summers afterwards to a different camp. Wow. So I did ten summers of sleepaway camp. So you loved it. Yes. I think that my love for going to summer camp, well, I eventually got to love it at the second camp. Mm-hmm. But my love for going to summer camp was matched by my parents' relief at being able to get rid of me. Right. So like once, once you put that seed in their heads, they were like... Firing on all cylinders, let's get him out of yeah, the house. I'm sure. I mean, if you... I unfortunately don't have their correspondence to match the <laughs> other side of these letters. No, that's fine. But I get the sense that they're like, we're not going to engage with this. We're just going to have a great summer. He will have his temper tantrum and work it out on his own. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I can't... I mean, uh, you seem like... You're such a uh, an erudite, like intellectual, well-groomed, well-to-do person... I, I think it's so funny to think of people like that in this environment where it's just like dirty and the kids are just destroying each other and there are spiders everywhere. I don't know why. There's always spiders at camp. Always. Um, but no mosquitoes sometimes. But you know, the funny thing is the, the two camps I went to, the first one I hated, though I went for four years, that one was incredibly clean and the I mean, every, everything was very, the food was good, you know, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. The second camp I went to that I loved was the kind of camp where you sit down on the floor in the rehearsal studio and your shorts take the color away with them. And it's like <laughs> seven summers in and somehow the floor is still seems freshly painted, but right. like, but looks like it was painted 30 years ago. Yeah. So I, I remember that when, when I went to the second camp, my parents said, you can go as many sessions as you like. It is so much cheaper than the other camp. Have at it. Go for it. And the second camp was uh, what kind of a camp? A theater camp. A theater I camp. ended, I settled where I belonged. Yes, yes. And how, right. was it very far from home? 
No, I mean East Coast Jewish camps. It was I went to the second camp I went to was French Woods, which I had a really great experience. Oh, sure. At, which is um in Hancock, New York. So that was like three and a half hours from Connecticut, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents hated driving it. I know that, but. I, it wasn't so far that you couldn't be picked up in an emergency. Not that that ever happened. Right. I feel like there's a, there are a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, who who go to French Woods and end up like doing that art for life. Yeah, it's actually amazing how many people I know in my professional and adult life outside of the theater who I knew from summer camp who are still a part of my life or came back into my life. And there's some great people. Mm-hmm. This is uh we're not we're not getting paid by French Woods by the way. But uh, <laughs> uh, so tell us uh, what what you brought. Uh, what artifact you brought to share about this. So what I brought with me are a series of letters from 1992 from me to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, all, a bunch of them, but they're all very short and the handwriting is very large. Um, but I, I, my family, my parents had these in a file called Letters from Camp and they had my letters and my older brother's letters and eventually my father said, you should read these. Oh, that's great. I love that they kept them for you. Now he, wanted, he wants them back. But he, he, he <laughs> they are on temporary loan from Dushan Academy. Okay. All right. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I would love for you to, to read some excerpts of uh, the juiciest. So they're here. I actually typed them up for myself just in case I wasn't able to read the writing. Sometimes it takes me a little second. But if you want to look at them, they're right there, too. So the first one, this is all 1992. It's a postcard. Mm-hmm. It says, hello, this is Peter. I have just settled in my bunk. It is the first day of camp. My counselors are Paul, Alan, and Chris. So far, camp is great. Love, Peter. Off to a good start. Yeah, sounds pretty normal. Sounds pretty normal. The next one, a postcard. Dear M and D, please send guys and dolls. Today is carnival. Today is Steiny's birthday. I'm sort of bummed I wasn't in the dance contest. Peter. Okay, that's a, this is the first plea for guys and dolls. We yeah. just start keeping a tally. <clears throat> yeah. Dear M and D, I'm sitting on my bed listening to my bunk argue about the stupidest things. The amazing thing is, you sent a letter to Josh from Montreal on July 16th, and it arrived on July 17th. The Pony Express must use Lamborghinis. Love, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) So then we move on. We say, Dear Mom and Dad, Glenn the drama guy is doing a play. It is the musical Annie, but we changed it to Andy and Mr. Hannigan. It was supposed to be called Little Orphan Andy, but Jealousy Fever is going around camp, so he calls it the Orphans of Hudson Street. I tried out for the part of Andy, and I think I got it. I think Josh is Daddy Warbucks, and Doug will be playing Mr. Hannigan. Glenn is a counselor for the Sparrows. I'm pretty sure he's working on the script. Love, Peter, because Thomas Meehan's book for Annie really needs the work of a summer camp counselor. Of course. Oh, but every summer... Yeah, I used to do things where like we do the bargain basement version of a show, and because the, the script is just so garbage that... They're like, we're going to work on the script. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, they made it worse. Because the contributions of like nine-year-old Jewish boys is really going to improve a successful yeah, yeah. piece of theater. Of course. Of course. Are you, uh, dare I ask whether you did secure the part of Andy? I did secure the part of Andy. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And fascinatingly enough, in one of these letters that I'm not going to read to you, I say, I made a friend. His name is Jamie. And I wrote out his whole name. And years and years, and I never remembered this, years, yeah. years, years, years later, I'm with a fr- mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And... He says, I'm getting drinks with this guy I was friends with in Los Angeles. You want to come? I go out to drinks with these guys. And this kid, Jamie, turns to me and goes, were you Andy and Andy? <laughs> was, he was like, I was Grace, which they think they called Greg or Gary or something. <laughs> nice. Because all boys camp. All boys camp, exactly. Yes. All boys camp to the point that like my bunk nickname my first year was Petunia. 
Oh, Peter Petunia. Did you like that or no? No, I don't think I liked it per se. At what? I mean, just to pause here to ask, uh, at, at what point were you uh, discovering your sexuality? Oh God, who knows? Um, I think there's that the I always do answer that probably fits the most. Where you're always like. Well, I'm not quite as into these ladies as the other ones are. So were you having crushes on these boys at camp? No, not in any conscious way. Definitely not. I had girlfriends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the letters I'm not reading to you, I had asked out a girl at the end of the school year. And I wrote to my parents and said, you know, here's the verdict. Ellie says I'm okay. <laughs> Which I don't even know what that means. I mean, it's better than like, ew. I got a lot of, I got a lot of like nasty faces and ews. Oh. I, I didn't, I didn't do very well with romance in school. Well, my, I peaked in my heterosexual romance in my middle school years. <laughs> I cleaned up. Got all those non-French kisses. <laughs> Very clean little pecs. <laughs> um, so then the right. next one is, I say, July 23rd. Hint, hint, birthday tomorrow. Because my dad's birthday is July 24th. Dear M and D. This will be a short letter because we're trying to clean up the bunk. Can you believe there are only two days till visiting day? Josh and I did get the parts we wanted in Andy slash Annie. See you in a few days. So then clearly because visiting day has happened and we pass and I say, Dear Mom and Dad, I'm still bummed and depressed. Last night I had a nightmare and made a lot of noise. The people in my bunk act like it's possible not to have a nightmare. I even tried to die to get out of it. Just for the sake of not having it again, I'll tell you. A scientist was running through our house electrocuting people. He threw me out the window. I woke up. Love, Peter. P.S. I'm still sad. So wait, you had a homicidal scientist. A homicidal, which is interesting because I actually have a recurring dream from childhood called Locomotive Man, which is about a man who drives one of those very boxy Volvos, and he pulls into the garage, but the garage is actually, the shelving units are apartments, and we're all little people who live in them, and he drives in in this like full-size volvo station wagon and the other parking spot in the garage has been is a pool for all the people who live in the apartment it's very melrose place mm-hmm. yeah um and then he just kills everybody oh wow what? so yeah. okay i mean we don't have to go down this path but is this is this like the angry old testament god i don't know i'm just fearful in general i had a dream about an earthquake last night oh i'm so sorry to hear about that four times a day i'll be like was that an earthquake did was that an earthquake did you feel that People be like, no, you have a head rush. You just were lying down and you stood up. It's not an earthquake. Um, so, fearful in general. Um, so, what, can I just ask you, how did you write letters to your parents every day? Probably. Because you have a lot of these. And this is not even close. I mean, I thinned this out tremendously. My, I've always been a very verbal person. Yeah. My expression when I was angry was to write. So, like, when I'd be angry with my parents, I would write poems to, to them. The, to them. That were very mean about like what I wanted. I used to, my parents used to joke that I would always say, like, if you don't watch out, you're gonna wake up with an axe in your head, which they thought was really funny because how could you wake up? And then with you an axe started to have all kinds of like end of the world dreams. You know, uh, I actually wasn't worried about end of the world. I was more worried about the end of me, as like a child narcissist. Ultimately, like I was always afraid the ceiling was turning into bugs that were gonna like take over me. Yeah, I mean, everybody's afraid of their own death. I just feel like that's pretty advanced. <laughs> um, but also, your parents, I mean, I've never met them, but they seem like really awesome, progressive parents. I love my parents. They're great. To let you watch whatever you wanted. To, like, I... Yeah. They're very... I think progressive would describe them. They're very... I, I, as an adult, I am aware how much energy they put into our intellectual and creative development. I'm very grateful for it, actually. Mm-hmm. My dad is not the type of person who was ever going to throw a ball with us in the yard. And we were not the type of kids who were ever going to throw a ball in the yard either. Um, 
but we all had so much to do together and my parents got me into theater and a lot of the things I'm passionate about are things that mostly my mother but that my parents were passionate about are they artists themselves no scientists medical they're both in the medical profession my father's a dentist and my mother is a genetic counselor Wow, that's so cool. So when they are, and are your siblings artists as well, or are they sons? We're all in the arts in some way. My older brother is a professor of ethnomusicology, and my younger brother works in the movie business and the sort of um, internet business in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Your your parents must be so boggled and proud. You know what's funny is we, I, I, I mean, they are, they're wonderful and they're very proud of us. I think it's so strange because growing up, Everybody in our family was on the East Coast. Everybody was in yep. Connecticut or New York and like Same. maybe somebody in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And now nobody is on the East Coast anymore. Like I'm the only son on the East Coast. My, you know, one brother in Michigan, one brother in California. They're just like scattered to the wind and every, mm-hmm. all the generations and all, you know, extended families the same way, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty standard, I guess, maybe at this point. It is, I don't know. It, I mean, I, I'm sort of in the same position because my, my grandparents also from Queens and um, We're in like, Queens. uh, well, my mom grew up in um, kind of near Jamaica Estates in like Holliswood, mm-hmm. and my dad grew up in Jackson Heights. My parents were married at the Hollis Hills uh, Jewish Center. No I'm way. not saying the name right, but that's where they were married, yeah. No way! I think that was my mom's temple. Maybe they went to temple together. They probably was, That was my did. dad's temple, because he's from like Oakland Gardens, Oakland, I think that's what it's called, and my mom's from Elmhurst. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, so yes. So, so when I started having feelings about potentially... Um, going to California, which is something that we don't have to go into now because that's not... You're the one bringing it up. I am. But the point is, I don't know if you feel like this, but I, I, have, I have so much, so many ties to the Northeast and specifically New York that I feel like a real traitor to even consider leaving and going to California because, like, people, we don't do that. Like, we stay in Queens. We're New Yorkers. I feel a, a similar attachment to New York and the New York area also I mean growing up we grew up an hour outside the city we came yeah. into the city even not necessarily Manhattan but we were in Queens All every weekend or the other weekend because yeah. both of my grandparents lived there at that point yeah. um, and now one of my grandmothers lives in Manhattan and one lives in Queens but we I always looked at New York and said that's where I will be mm-hmm. and if anything what I feel as an adult is kind of a sadness that the New York I moved to isn't really the New York I dreamed of oh, moving to. Oh, we have to hang out outside of this. We but have like, to talk. Also, who knows if that New York ever existed? Who am I to know? But I've read about it. I've seen movies. I, I Woody Allen, did. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Between Helene Hanf and Woody Allen, I feel like the New York I wanted did exist well, somewhere. Now it's the city bank that never sleeps. Although I will tell you <laughs> what, this is true. They're closing a fancy clothing store in my neighborhood to make way for a bank. And God damn I, every it. Every time I pass this store... I want to spray, I'm not like a vandal, but I really want to grab spray paint and, and write, I hope we get a bank on the window because I know we're getting a bank, which is like kind of rude of me, but spoiler alert, we're getting it. a city bank. Um, and we already have a city bank. But what I think is interesting is when I go to California, that's where I feel more New York than ever. When I'm in California, I do not, like I could, I feel like I'm clad in black denim. I feel like I'm the swarthiest person there. I never feel more New York yeah, than Yeah, but I kind of like, that kind of feels too. nice because it's like, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to be here. I can bring New York wherever I go. Well, so no, it's like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which convinced me that yes. Los Angeles was just displaced New Yorkers. It is, essentially. Yeah. Essentially, it's, it is that, I don't know, it's. In New York, you can't bring the attitude because you're in the water. It's like when you see an octopus out of water. It looks different than when it is in water. Cause it's sort of heavier and like slimier. That's 
me in California. That's probably you in California, too. <laughs> when you're here, you're floating around. You know where everything is. But when you're in California, it's sort of like... You stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. But there's value in sticking out and like also, a sore thumb in this sure. industry. You can, you can tap into the attitude of New York and not just be like part of just droning onwards in the sea of people. Totally. Well, I'm not selling anything here that people haven't sold before. Right. True. Yeah. You know, but I, also, to be fair, I don't think I'm selling anything Los Angeles hasn't seen before either. <laughs> And, uh, we're all in the entertainment business. Yeah, we come on. It's just Jews traveling back and forth from coast to coast. Think for yourself, guys. I'm Catholic. Um, yeah, it's but close. you're, you're it's Italian. Very close. You're Italian. Yankees, Mets. It's close yeah. Enough. Yes. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, so at some point, at some point, these letters descend into. Oh yes. So, very oh yes. <laughs> so you. Is this nightmare the first seed of like when it goes south that you just described? Do you know what? I'm going to tell you guys a secret that I remember actually strangely vividly is that I faked that nightmare. <laughs> that I remember really vividly, and I don't know why, but I do remember that I faked that nightmare. Probably for attention, probably because I was a dramatic person, I, for whatever reason. And I think in retrospect, the kids were probably responding to the lack of authenticity in this nightmare. And I wasn't self-aware enough to recognize that until 20 years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like, but so, okay, so the nightmare didn't come first. What came first was some kind of seed of dissatisfaction yeah, I mean, that, this is my third summer at this place too. So you're you're getting over it. I, well, I was over it from the beginning, but I didn't know how to say so. It wasn't a place that stoked my interests, ultimately. So, but I but you went there because, oh, my older brother is doing this. I want to be cool like him. I'm gonna go. And then after the first summer, it must have been pretty clear to you. I don't like this, but you continue to go anyway. Yes, but. I think the reason is twofold. One, not wanting to tell my parents I didn't like it. And two, I had gotten an incredible amount of positive reinforcement for being a seven-year-old who was willing to go away for eight weeks. So many people right. told me they were impressed with me and proud of me that they gave me the validation I craved, and that was enough. It took me a couple summers before that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. I got you. I got you. Yeah, we're all just seeking validation. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got you. And then you. once you hit that ceiling over and over, you want more. Mm-hmm. So you got to find new ways to get it. Exactly. Yep. Are we going to discover this in the next few... uh... (laughs) All right, yes, carry on. So, very quickly, this one is, Dear Mom, on our trip I walked five miles on a hike. Tiring. Where is Guys and Dolls? Where is Mail? Josh (laughs) asked out Deborah. She said no. He's working on Karen. Peter. Where is Mail? Why did you only write that one to your mom and not your dad? I don't know. There's some real passive-aggressive stuff going on here. (laughs) You'll notice when Love Peter changes to From Peter... There's a there's some real emotional manipulation at play here that I'm sure my parents saw right through. So the next one says, Dear parents, another exciting episode of our show. Today's topic, the kids. Here are the names of the kids who annoy me. And then in parentheses, I wrote tease, which I think was to say that they're not annoying to me, but that they tease me. Right. And then I list a bunch of names, including one that's all capital letters and has an exclamation point, And I say what what group they're in, because the, all the groups were bird names, Blue Jay, Sparrow, Robin, Falcon, Cardinal, etc. Right. And then I have a quote that says, The kids here simply do not understand that other people have feelings that can hurt and nothing is done about it. And the quote is attributed to Peter Duchan at the Kenmont Times. (laughs) (laughs) Then I say, Love, Peter. P.S. In your letters, write about what I said in my letters. Are you in space? (laughs) (laughs) What uh, what team were you on? Well, I was a... At this point, I'm a Blue Jay... Blue Jays by Robin. You're okay. And uh, so wait, were they just different houses? No, they're just bunks, yeah. Oh, but, yeah, okay. But, but... Age groups. Cool, okay. When, when your parents wrote back to you... Well, I mean, first of all, did they write back to you as often as you wrote to them? 
Probably not, but my parents are have both were very good about writing letters generally. Sure. Like my memories, I don't remember this summer specifically, but my memories of summer camp generally were that my my parents, particularly my mother, were good about writing letters. And and are you in space? Uh, is that an insult that you'd thrown around before? That I don't know. <laughs> what I what I understand from this is that I'm saying to my parents. I'm unhappy and they're not responding and saying to the unhappiness exactly they're just saying today I did this and today I did that so what I'm demanding that they respond to the things I write yeah you're saying hello do you know what a pen pal is like do you know how do you know how letter writing works right yes do you see that question mark well answer that question (laughs) and you were eight when you wrote this nine okay yes good so then I send them a postcard a week later that says dear mom and dad I want to go home I want to go home please From Peter. <laughs> the next postcard, three days later. Dear M and D, I am not having fun. Underline, I'd like to go home. <laughs> and then I start laying it on thick. I would like to see Evan. I miss the family. The kids are mean. Love, Peter. So then I say, Dear Mom and Dad, I had fun at our trip to the mall in the movie. The kids have not improved. Schuster annoys me. That's somebody's last name. Um, can we say that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I the kids, the kid, the kids. I mean, I, I really wish that we had known each other back then because we were just exactly the same. <laughs> because I was always like, oh, the people around here are so provincial. I'm pr- pretty sure I used the word provincial <laughs> you, four you or five did. times in this diary. Well, I probably knew the word provincial in 1992 because Beauty and the Beast came out in 1991. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I was very pretentious and I was very much about like, it was me and then the rest of the world and the other people just couldn't possibly understand me. They just couldn't possibly. Too advanced. Yes. So the next one is, Dear M&D, please send $15 urgent. (laughs) I I don't feel good. I have to go. Do you know what that was for? Probably candy at the canteen. I had a real Charleston chew fetish. <laughs> nice. Yeah, me too. I was really into it. And then people would suggest that you had to put them in the freezer, which, number one, there were no freezers at summer camp, so I don't understand why I kept being told that. And two, no. No, it just makes it worse. Like, yeah. well, I didn't want to brittle Charleston chew. I agree with you, and I feel like I'm in the minority here, but I'm glad that you... Because the whole... When you when you go to, you know, the pool or whatever, you know, the, the country club pool or, like, the tennis club pool or whatever... Uh, and there was like a little cantina thing and you could get a frozen Snickers bar or a regular one and I I don't want the one that's going to break my teeth I want I like the melty the Gentiles get the frozen one did you get the frozen one Phil? Mm-mm. you like frozen Snickers? no because they're too hard I get the I get the ice cream Snickers well, I don't like a frozen Snickers yeah, I'm talking about the Snickers bar the candy bar and the Charleston yeah, yeah, yeah. Chew gets hard no, as a I, rock I like a standard Snickers because I like the I like the chewiness I don't like the the hard brittleness, and whenever it's in, I'm on the subway, and they're they have on display all the melted Snickers, and then they give you the freezer one. I'm like, uh, I kind of want the melted. Do, do you one. have a medium? Yeah, between the two of them. Except yeah, when you're in like a New York City heat wave, and everybody yeah. has the the candy bars are right by the door, so everyone you touch is like just like turns to yeah. quid. Ooze yeah, yeah, it's all a trap. Yeah. You're like, it's like shaking you- it back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay, so then we get to the big stuff. Dear mom and dad, I am not having fun at all. The kids in my bunk are real assholes. At first, I thought of running away, but that would just get me into trouble. So I decided to write this letter to my loving family. Please take me out of this fucking hellhole. <laughs> How old are you? Nine. I, I'm Have you ever so... been allowed to curse that way, or are you just at your wit's end here? We joke in my family that we all learned our curse words from my mother because the, the edge of our at the end of our street was a stop sign or. 
coming into our street, there was a stop sign that nobody, it was at the bottom of a hill and nobody honored it. And we called it the goddamn stop sign. And we <laughs> were actually worried that my little brother's first words would be goddamn stop sign because you couldn't, every single time we drove home, my mother would go, there's a goddamn stop sign. Oh, yeah. Every single time. So we just, I learned the word fuck because my mother would say, your room is a fucking pigsty. So we, <laughs> this is how I learned. And they can't, they couldn't get mad at me about it. So I say, please take me out of this fucking hellhole. I know the summer is almost over, but I can't take two and a half more weeks with this group of assholes. Pardon my language, but I'm very pissed off. Where is Guys and Dolls? Where is Mail? I admit you sent up many packages, but none to me and none with the book. I think that means they sent them to my older brother and that he was supposed to disseminate the, right, and the he contents. Didn't. I'm sure he did. He was a very good older brother, but I think I was pissed that they weren't coming directly to me. Right. I say, I'd like Mail with writing on it, like a real letter. <laughs> Dad. This summer, you've been better than mom at writing letters. You've sent up many letters telling exactly what happened that day. However, I have not heard from you for a week. Mom, this summer you have not sent up a lot of mail, nor were the letters you sent up what I expected and wanted. And visiting day, you said it was your job to get the book. Where is it? What can I do while I'm at this hellhole? Well, so far, what I've been doing is sitting on my bed writing to you and missing breakfast. (laughs) Here is my grade of the kids in my bunk. Josh, F minus 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 minus. (laughs) Steiny, B minus. Scott, D plus. Sam, B minus. CJ, C minus. Please take me home or help me survive through this wicked, horrid, shitty, terrible summer. From Peter. Oh Um, wow, from Peter. Did you have did you have like a any kind of like a good buddy, or were you sort of like an island unto yourself? Do you know what I don't really remember. I I remember I remember there was another gay kid there who was older, who I now know in adulthood because he's a successful theater producer and a really nice guy. And we ran into each other. We're like, Mr. Hannigan? Andy? Is that Oh, my you? God. That's amazing. Um, but I remember there was a sense of, like, that the gay kids were a little ostracized, but I wasn't quite considering myself one of the gay kids, but I knew them because we all did the play together and went to arts and crafts when we had the chance. Right. So there was... But There's you were only nine. I was nine, exactly. Yeah. And my older brother was very, he was 13 and very interested in girls this summer. Mm-hmm. Like most of his letters home that matched this summer are like, I asked out Toby, I asked out Karen, I asked out <laughs> Deborah, all this stuff. And then like, please send Peter guys and dolls. He won't stop talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, did, did there, was there ever a response, especially after these, when you started cursing, was there ever a response from your parents that addressed that and was like, don't worry, you're almost done, or like, this is good character building, or... I don't know. I mean, <sighs> I get the feeling there wasn't, but I also get the feeling that I probably wouldn't have heard it if they were saying it. Right. I think I was very interested in performing my frustration. Right. Of course. So I, the fact that the audience wasn't in front of me only meant that I didn't have to respond to the audience. <laughs> right. Well, plus it's delayed gratification because you, you put this thing out there, like when you're performing and you want to perform your frustration, you want validation immediately for that frustration. Mm-hmm. And the problem with writing letters is that it's not going to be immediate. No, this was just like self-soothing bullshit. Of course. So then I wrote to my parents a couple days later and said, Dear Mom and Dad, isn't my IQ 145 and 100 is average adult and 150 is genius? If possible, please send the papers from Mr. Weisskopf. (laughs) (laughs) The kids here are assholes. They are mean. I don't care if there's four days left. Take me home, please. From Peter. So clearly I got into some sort of argument with the other kids about my own IQ, which I hope they won. In retrospect. No, you know what? When, when, when you're feeling so lonely and so just different from everybody else, 
on all you can like grab onto is I'm smart. Yeah. I understand that. Totally. And then we end with, dear mom and dad, I have made my decision. I'm not coming back next year. I did go back the next year. By the, way. <laughs> the kids are mean as hell and the counselors can't stop them. I would like to just stay home the whole summer. No day camp, no nothing. I'll just spend the summer eating, sleeping, watching TV, reading, and hanging out with my loving family. Love you, miss you, right. Love, in capital letters, Peter. Also in capital letters. <laughs> so that, and, and, so then you had one more year at that, at that one. I did. I don't understand why I went back or frankly why my parents let me go back. I must have said I wanted to. Right. I don't think they would have sent me back if I didn't say that I wanted to. But I do know that the end of the next summer, by the time it ended, I told my bunkmates that I wouldn't be there next summer because we had a big family reunion the following summer, which was totally a lie. <laughs> but I knew I wasn't coming and I, for whatever reason, was saving. F- I don't think I had any face to save, but right. I was saving face. But I remember we went and looked at the camp I ended up going to the next summer, two days after I got home from camp. Yeah. From this camp that summer. And you said, oh, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Um, Anywhere but here. I mean, I understand. I, I guess I understand the, the going back, even though it was such a bad experience. Because, and I don't know if if you relate to this with band camp at all, but I I, I needed to be around other people so badly, in it, regardless of what a miserable experience it was or how not nice those people were to me. Anything was better than being alone. Essentially, yeah. there was people that I sat with. It was kind of like a prison camp where, like, you, you sit at the table with the convicts that you don't want to fight with. Yeah, like that's kind of what it was. We were all like sort of salty. Befriend your enemies. We were, yeah, we're all just like salty old guys, like planning to escape somehow. That's kind of what I pictured us. We were basically POWs. Right. Well, see, the fascinating thing about all of these letters to me is that they're followed by a letter I did not bring with me that's written by my counselor to my parents. I think each summer they had to write a letter to the parents of the kid, each kid, like once. And, right, And I remember specifically this counselor, Alan, who was great, and I really liked him very much. He gave me a cassette tape with Madonna's Dick Tracy songs on them. Nice. nice. He saw something in me I may not have seen in myself. <laughs> um, but he was really great. And he wrote a letter to my parents that basically was like, Peter is such a leader in this group. Um, everybody looks up to him. And I'm like, are you joking? That's not the sense I get from these letters, which also makes me question performance and what's going on. And like, sure. am I writing in a bad mood? And then I get over it and I'm fine. Well, I, I think... I mean, it sounds like this is you kind of use these letters as your journal. I totally. mean, the way I used my journal was just like get all this vitriol and like horrible stuff off, you know, on the page. And then when you go and you see other people, you're actually like a perfectly nice, like highly performing, educated, friendly person. Yeah. Now, how but, did Andy go, by the way? Andy went very well, as I understand it. Um, I made a friend that I told you that I yeah, now yeah. am friends with in adulthood because of it. Um, I remember what my older brother wore, the like flannel shirt that he wore for Daddy Warbucks. And I remember when I sang Maybe at the beginning of the show that mm-hmm. I was like sitting in the one of the, you know, it's like one of those like indoor, outdoor, summer playhouse kind of things at a summer camp. And they could just open up the wall and there was outside. And I just like sat on the outside That's wall and great. sang. You know. It's pretty cool. Um, did you have the red wig or did oh you? Oh yeah, did you wear a red wig? No, but you know, I probably thought I didn't need to because as a child I was convinced I had red hair. Which was my, it redder? By the no, way, not at all. Uh, for for the listeners, it's like dark brown. black. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would stand in front of the mirror and I would say, "No, I I do have red hair." And my parents would be like, "You don't. You actually don't. Like that's just a weird fluorescent whatever lighting it is that's <laughs> allowing you to believe this." But now, as an adult with a beard, I actually do. The red is coming I do into have the beard. Some red, yeah. So I feel vindicated. Oh yeah, like you knew it. You all willed along. it into being. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, is there are there any other uh, notes about camp that you want to make sure get mentioned, or your experience? No, you know what's funny. I along the lines of that counselor is that as an adult, one of the uh, the producers of Dogfight when we were doing it in New York actually was a gentleman I had gone to summer camp with, and he's I think like eight or nine years older than me, mm-hmm. and he remembered me being like cute and well liked at the camp and remembered me fondly. And I thought, how on earth could you remember the person who wrote these letters fondly? But that's what I'm saying. Like all that stuff, all that turmoil was just inside you. And it didn't maybe didn't make itself clear outside of you because you're a good student. You weren't gonna let on that you were that's true. feeling I still bad to win inside. Things. Exactly, you still want to win on the outside. And also, yeah. your your parents were very progressive, so they were probably allowing or giving you a permission or a source to express yourself, to do that sort of thing, invent totally. Um, so you, your behavior in this is more just you venting. I don't think it says anything about your character. And actually, I think that was my parents' mindset generally. You know, they would laugh when I wrote the poems that were really nasty towards them. And, and there was a good six months where my mother would drive me to the library. I think I was 10 years old. So that I could research every weekend divorcing my parents, emancipation. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? And she would drive me to the library. I'd spend a couple hours there, and then I would get. In the, she'd pick me up, and she'd say, "How'd it go?" And I'd be like, "Well, I just need to talk to a lawyer about this and this and this." And she'd be like, "Okay." No intention, of course, of me actually emancipating myself, but I think she was like, if we just let him do this, he'll get over it. You were just like a little full-grown man, like right from the beginning. I think that might be generous. I think I was just like a really bitchy little kid. Like, I don't know. When I see videos of myself, I'm appalled that adults allowed that behavior. And that if I had a child who behaved the way I did, I would hit that child all the time. (laughs) But you you didn't turn out to be like a, a... megalomaniacal narcissist you're like a perfectly friendly person I yeah. it really well I guess so um well listen we always uh we always end an episode by giving a little gift oh. to the guests it's not a very exciting gift basically it's um from my childhood house where we have lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff we're not hoarders but we do have two basements so I'll put it that way <laughs> and uh so I, I I'm just gonna get I like to give things a new life that may or may not be ever used. I welcome it. So for today, I have this um, pencil case. Uh, it's a vintage Coca-Cola like tin pencil case. I'm pretty sure there used to be a pencil in it. There isn't now, but you're a writer, so you can put whatever you want in there. I'm going to love this, and not least because I am in week two of not drinking Coca-Cola. <gasps> Congratulations! Which I, I'm, I have, I'm taking a month off from soda in general, although not seltzer. I need seltzer. I need carbonation. No, that's fine. There are no. There's no. But like corn syrup-based yeah. sodas, exactly. I'm taking a, a well, month off from. I hope this doesn't actually make your. No, I'm going to sleep with this under my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Just that... the logo. I passed, uh, or I didn't pass. I was walking, and a Coke truck passed me the other day. And it was day one of no soda, and out loud, without thinking, I went, "I miss you so much." <laughs> <laughs> so this is wonderful. Thank you. That that worked out really well then. Yeah. And is there anything that you would like to um, plug before we uh, sign off? I don't think so, actually. No, I'm actually on my way back to my little office to keep my writing and creating new things, and awesome. then hopefully we'll have something to plug later. Awesome. Well, for Excellent. the for the listeners, uh, Peter Duchan has a Wikipedia page. so <laughs> Which you, I did not create myself. Congratulations, you which advanced. Which I'm very proud of. You've made it. You've made it. Because I considered it. Well, I yeah, I think I think you can rest on your laurels a little bit. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for having me. Thank, Thank you so you. much for doing this with us. Yeah. My pleasure. And, uh, yeah. That's know. our show. That's our show. I haven't. What were we gonna say? I, Crunchy I chicken. 
I don't we, know. We need a sign offline. Yeah, crunchy chicken. That's not it though. <laughs> Send us your suggested sign off lines. We will read them on the air. And have a great Sunday night. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one uh, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!